Um, what a good reminder that we are soldiers of the cross, that we do not live on a playground, but we live on battleground. Please turn in your copy of God's Word this morning to Acts chapter 11. We've been considering the first part of this chapter, the first 18 verses under the titles, The Conversion of Cornelius, The Conversion of Peter, and The Conversion of the Church. And today, before we move forward to the next verses, we'll revisit verse 18. Uh, and I'd like to get a little context, so we'll read verses 15 through 18. Acts 11, 15 through 18. Peter is speaking. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he also gave us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time this morning in His Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you with our Bibles open with our hearts and minds open to your word, we come in need. God, if, if we only hear the words of men today, what a grave loss. We would hear Christ. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. As the preacher, I am inadequate and insufficient to this task. So God, I pray that the message that is preached would not be mine, but that it would be your word. As we humble ourselves, as we submit ourselves to you, be with us now, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Today we are focusing our attention and our time on the phrase in the last part of verse 18, where we read that God granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Repentance unto life. So I've titled the sermon with these words, Repentance unto unto life, a repentance that leads to life. So much has been said about repentance and so much could be said about repentance. Repentance could certainly be the topic, the focus of a series of messages, a topical series of sermons. But that's not the purpose today. And I hope that I don't preach a series of sermons. We are simply using the phrase in verse 18 to briefly consider repentance. I want to begin by defining repentance and then we will move forward. We will be quoting from J.C. Ryle, from um, Charles Spurgeon, and quoting a great deal from our confession. So we're drawing on those who have gone before us, but the things that we say about repentance will be the things that the Bible says about repentance. I want to begin by defining the word repentance. Repentance or repent, this is a church word. It's not a word that we hear uh, very rarely outside of a religious context. People don't use the word repent or repentance normally. 
outside the church and even within the church among those who profess Christ the meaning of repentance the understanding of what repentance is is not as clear as we might think as we might hope if we're being honest even in the church even among people who profess Christ repentance is not often spoken of and in many places repentance is misunderstood and taught poorly or taught with error so today we'll consider why it is that repentance is not spoken of we'll consider uh, repentance biblically and we'll see that repentance absolutely should be not the most, but one of the most common terms heard among Christians. Repentance should be a theme of Sunday school lessons and Wednesday night classes and sermons. And repentance should be spoken of in our conversation. So how do we define repentance? There are several words in scripture, Hebrew and Greek, which are either translated repent or repentance, or they communicate the general idea of repenting. The main word in scripture that we see translated repent is the Greek word metanoia. That will not be on the test, but uh, just so that you know that I know how to pronounce it, we've said it, metanoia. Metanoia, translated repent or repentance in our, in our Bibles, means to have a change of mind afterward. And that may seem like an odd uh, definition to some of you, but there is there's a reason for each of those things. Some of you have heard having a change of mind. We're adding the term afterward because there's an element of time that is included in this. So we want to note some key things about this definition. And the first thing that we're going to note, metanoia, repentance, is to have a change of mind afterward. The first key thing to note is that this definition deals with, the word deals with the thinking or the mind, the intellect. And some of you have heard the definition. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of mind. But we must not think that repentance is only an intellectual idea or an intellectual uh, exercise. We must not think that repentance is only a mental thing, a mental concept. When the mind changes, the actions follow. When the mind changes, the actions follow. So metanoia and the biblical use of all the places that we read repent or repentance in the Bible affects, affects our thoughts as well as our actions. So we must not think that repentance is only mental. It is a change of mind that can be seen as well in the motions. Repentance is seen in the mind and the motions. It's seen in the way we think and the way we act. Repentance is a change of mind afterwards. The second part of the, this definition has to do with time. A change of mind afterward. It's after something. And what's trying to be communicated here is that repentance is not the first state of men. It's not the first state of mankind. It's not our first thing. Repentance is a change, so of course it's not our first thing. Repentance comes after something. It comes afterward. Repentance comes after we have sinned. After we have, for some period of time, at some varying level, pursued a life with different motives. Some of you can look back at your life and you can say, I remember pursuing a life of different motives for a time. 
Repentance comes after we have lived, after we have sinned, after we have saw life with different motives. Repentance comes and repentance comes not naturally to man, but repentance comes after the work of Christ begins in a person. Repentance comes after Christ has begun to work. A person who is dead in sin does not repent. Now, let me say this just by way of a parenthetical phrase here. There is a false repentance that may be seen in those who are dead in trespasses and sins. A temporary repentance and a false repentance. And we'll talk more about that. But true biblical repentance is in focus today for us. And a person who is dead in sin does not repent with biblical true repentance. The person who has been made alive in Christ. The person who has the gift of faith in Christ. That person repents. After their blind eyes have been opened, Joel Beakey compared uh, the blind eyes, the illumination of repentance at, to someone who is in a pit filled with venomous vipers, poisonous snakes, and they are blindfolded and they have no sense of fear and no sense that they need to move out of that place because they cannot see the danger that is around them. And when the Holy Spirit of God through the word comes and removes that blindfold on a sinner's heart, he can then see the danger. He can see the sin and he wants to be out of it. He wants to be out of that sin. And this is repentance, a change of mind because the mind is illuminated by the word of God and a change of actions when their blind eyes have been opened change of mind afterward the third part of this definition a change of mind afterwards is the word change change we already pointed out that repentance is not the default attitude of the soul it is change first Thessalonians 1 9 speaks of repentance saying that they had turned to God from idols they had turned to God from idols. That is a marked change. There was a real change of mind that led to a change of action. Repentance is a change of mind afterward. I want to add one more thing to this definition for today. It's not really the revision of the definition necessarily, but in the phrase in verse 18, which is in view for us, we have this repentance unto life. So I want to define, I want to talk about what this means to say repentance unto life. The New American Standard says repentance that leads to life. So we want to talk about that unto life part. Repentance unto life. It would be a grave error for us to think that repentance unto life means that the Gentiles here in Acts 11 or that anyone else repented and by repenting, they were granted spiritual life. Repentance unto life does not mean that repentance gives eternal life or spiritual life. We will look at this in greater detail when we consider faith and repentance together. We'll look at the similarities and the differences between these faith and repentance. But for now, just hear me say that repentance is not the instrument by which we are saved. That may come as a shock to some of you. And that's really the burden on my heart as I preach this message. That we understand repentance and that we understand that repentance is not the instrument by which we are saved. We are saved by God's grace through faith 
We are not saved through repentance. Repentance is not the work that you do in order to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved through repentance. Though faith and repentance are inseparably linked, they are also distinct. I didn't realize that rhyme when I wrote it, but it's a good rhyme. Though faith and repentance are inseparably linked, they are distinct. That's really the two main things we need to see today. Faith and repentance cannot be divided, but they are distinct. They are not the same. Repentance does not save a sinner. Therefore, repentance unto life is not repentance that saves and therefore gives eternal life, but repentance that is present when there is spiritual life. Repentance that accompanies saving faith will be present with a Christian all the way through this life, all the way into eternity, into eternal life. So when we understand repentance unto life, Repentance does not save, but where saving faith is present, repentance accompanies it. So we've defined repentance, a change of mind afterward. And now I would like to consider the link between faith and repentance. We who are reformed like to speak of salvation by faith alone. By faith alone. And, and we hold tightly to this dear and most necessary doctrine. But as Luther is often quoted, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Alone, Saving faith is always accompanied by repentance. Let me add this. Saving faith is always accompanied by all of the saving graces. All of the graces that God gives in salvation. But today in view particularly is repentance. And repentance is the one saving grace. The one grace of God that is given to us. That people want to deny. That people want to abandon and ignore. We often say that faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. Faith and repentance, repentance and faith, they go together and we must never divide them, but we must always distinguish between the two. It has been well said that in salvation, Faith is repentant faith. Saving faith is repentant faith. And repentance is believing repentance. So they are descriptors. They go hand in hand, two sides of the same coin, indivisible. These two are so closely related in Scripture that sometimes we see one mentioned without the other, but even then, both are in view. We have some examples. These verses should be familiar to you. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sin here in this verse communicates repentance. Faith is not mentioned but faith is clearly included and involved. Second Peter speaks of God's patience toward all who will come to repentance. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Faith is not mentioned here. But this biblical repentance is believing repentance. Faith is included. Faith is a part of it. Jesus said, 
I have come to call sinners to repentance. Jesus did not mean you do the work of repentance. Don't worry about believing. John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When we see faith or repentance in scripture, we should think they go together. They are inseparably linked. They are distinct, but inseparably linked. The same way we reread verses on the other side that say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Faith mentioned in believing, but no mention of repentance. But this faith is repentant faith. Similarly, John 3, 16, which is so familiar to us. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believing is faith, but this faith is repentant faith. These references to faith or repentance refer to repentant faith or believing repentance. There are similarities between faith and repentance. I didn't see how many I have, but I've got two or three similarities that we can find. Things that we can describe that would describe both faith and repentance. First, faith and repentance are both graces. They are both graces. The Second London Baptist Confession, our confession of faith, speaks of the grace of faith. And it says repentance is an evangelical grace. So it speaks of faith and repentance as being graces. Listen to these statements from our confession in the chapters on faith and repentance. First from faith, it says the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the spirit of Christ in their hearts. And it's ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls. I know we're talking about similarities, but we don't say that kind of thing about repentance. This is faith. They're both graces. Repentance from our confession. Repentance is an evangelical grace whereby a person being by the Holy Spirit made sensible of the manifold evils of his sin does by faith in Christ humble himself for it and with godly sorrow, detestation of it and self-abhorrency praying for pardon and strength of grace. Our confession speaks of faith in chapter 14 and repentance in chapter 15 as graces. Saying that faith and repentance are both graces means that if God does not grant these, then men do not have them. Faith is a gift from God and repentance is is a gift from God. Both of these gifts from God are exercised by the one whom God is saving. But they are both gifts from God. If God does not grant them, we do not have them. Therefore, we must recognize that those who are outside of Christ may have a counterfeit version of these graces. What God does perfectly, Satan comes and counterfeits. And there are counterfeit versions of these graces which men may work on their own without the word and spirit. But saving faith and repentance unto life are grace gifts from God. They are graces. Both faith and repentance will be Evidenced in every Christian. Both faith and repentance will be evidenced in every Christian. Maybe at different levels, maybe at different degrees, maybe in different ways, but they will be evidenced in every Christian. A person who is a Christian will demonstrate faith 
in Christ. So much so that we call the person who is a Christian a believer. Speaking of their faith, there is no such thing as a Christian who does not have faith and exercise faith in Jesus. No such thing. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know of anyone who denies that. But they deny the flip side. A Christian will be repenting. I worded that carefully. I didn't say a Christian will repent because that makes us sound like a Christian just repents the one time. A Christian will be repenting. James is very clear that the kind of faith that is not accompanied by works, the kind of faith that is not accompanied by repentance is not the kind of faith that saves. James 2.14 says, what use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and he has no works, can that kind of faith save him? Faith, if it has no works, is dead. Being by itself. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have faith. No one denies that that I know of. But there's also no such thing as a Christian who does not repent. Faith and repentance are ongoing. They are both ongoing graces in the life of every Christian. For some Christians, you know the first moment of faith. You know the first movements of repentance. Some of us don't know those first moments, those first uh, moments when we believe, but we know that we are believing. But for some, knowing that first moment of faith, knowing that first movement of repentance, that's where it ends. I believed in Jesus once, on such and such a day, at such and such a time, in such and such a place. I repented of my sin at this place or that place, this time or that time or this day. And we speak often as though faith and repentance are one-time actions of the soul, never to be repeated. But that is not the case. That is not the teaching of Scripture. That is not biblical faith and repentance. They have this in common, that they are ongoing graces in the life of every Christian. They are not only momentary, but they are continual throughout the life of the believer. We once believed, Christians, and we still believe. We once repented, and we still repent. If you have run out of things to repent of, talk to your wife. <laughs> Christians, as long as we are on this earth, we will have sins to repent of. J.C. Ryle said this, he was a wise old saint who said, I hope to carry my repentance to the very gate of heaven. Brothers and sisters, we're going to need it. We're going to need to carry our repentance all the way into eternity, all the way to the gate of heaven. Then we won't need it anymore. What a day that will be. Our faith and repentance is ongoing, but our faith and repentance do not stay the same. They are not stagnant. Our faith and our repentance should grow. Listen again to our confession as it speaks about saving faith. By the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer, and other means appointed of God, means of grace. Faith is increased and strengthened. And we talk about saving faith, and I've heard people talk about living faith. It's the same. 
It's just growing and strengthened by the means of grace, the administration of the Lord's Supper, the administration of baptism, prayer, the preaching of the word, the reading of the word. It's strengthened and increased. Faith and repentance are both graces. Faith and repentance are both evidenced in every Christian and they both are ongoing throughout the life of every Christian. Now I want to consider just one difference. One difference between faith and repentance. I want to talk about their difference in order. Their difference in order. And if you have uh, your copy of the confession, you may get that out and turn to the table of contents. If not, I'll tell you what it says. We'll consider the order of repentance in our confession. And as we consider the order of repentance in our confession, it's not accidentally or haphazardly ordered. We will also, by doing that, see and understand the order of faith and repentance in salvation. The order of repentance in our confession, as you look at the table of contents of our confession, often we, we learn nothing from a book's table of contents, except for the page numbers of each chapter. But in our confession, we can learn more. We can see that these things are ordered and they're ordered for a reason. We can learn something of the thinking of the framers of our confession by noting the order of the chapters. So let's start at the beginning as we work through this. The chapter on scripture is first. It's first. Some have asked, why not the chapter on God? Shouldn't God come first? What are we going to say about God if we haven't already understood the scripture? If we don't have the scripture, we have nothing to say. So we have first the scripture and then we have the chapters on God, his essence, his triune nature, God's absolute sovereignty over all things. And I'm just summarizing, working through this table of contents. Then we have God's works of creation and providence, the fall of man and the covenant of grace, the mediator, Jesus Christ. And then we have the various steps in the work of God to save a sinner, regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification. And these steps, this is all in a particular order. Even though we see this order, and by the way, we would refer to that in, in theological circles as the ordus salutis, the order of salvation. Even though we can see an order of salvation, for the one coming to Christ, most of the time, it just feels like all this happens at one time. Most of the time, it feels like this is just one thing. And we say, I was saved. Well, there was regeneration, there was justification, there was adoption. There's, there, there's a lot that goes into that. So we see this order, even though it may be difficult for us in the beginning to distinguish one action of God from another. These steps appear to us sometimes as all being at once, but there is an order. And then we come in our confession to chapters 14 and 15, 14 being on faith and 15 being on repentance, saving faith and repentance unto life. By the way, that's the terminology that the framers of our confession use. Faith and repentance, we've already said, are inseparable. So why not just have one chapter? Because there's an order. There is an order. And faith comes first. Faith comes first. Because we are not told in Scripture that we are saved by grace through repentance. It is through faith. And that faith is accompanied by repentance. But faith is the instrument of salvation. Faith is the instrument of our salvation. The confession in the chapter on justification says this, speaking of faith. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified. 
but is ever accompanied with all the other saving graces and is not dead faith, but works by love. Faith is the alone instrument in justification. Now, changing that to say faith is the alone instrument in salvation, but this is more specific, more precise. And this is important for us to recognize that faith comes first, but that these are inseparable. The confession says that faith is accompanied by repentance and the other saving graces, but that repentance is not the instrument in saving. Faith alone is the instrument of our justification. So for this reason, the framers of our confession placed faith before repentance in this order. So we want to consider this importance of why faith comes first and repentance comes second. We need to understand not only that they are inseparable, not only a few things that they have in common and a few things that they have different, but we need to understand the relationship between faith and repentance so that we don't fall into error. Some knowing that faith and repentance are joined, hearing things like faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin, they begin to think that faith and repentance are the same thing. They're not the same. It's true that when we try to separate them, we have a different thing. What is faith without repentance? We see that all around us. Easy believism, we may call it. Non-lordship salvation. You can come to Jesus as your savior, but not as your Lord. That's what this teaching is. Faith without repentance. But we read from James earlier that that kind of faith is dead. And he says that kind of faith saves no one. Faith without repentance is worthless. It's dead. I know some of you are tired of hearing me go on and on about classical dispensationalism. But we're going to hit that head of that nail one more time. I want to point out that the adherents to classical dispensationalism believe that no repentance is required by Gentiles to be saved. No repentance required. All the, they separate the gospels and everywhere that Jesus or John the Baptist or the apostles preach repent. They say that was for the Jews. That's not for the church. No repentance required. And they preach that repentance is required of the Jews because the Jews have always been and still are saved by works, by keeping the law. That is classical dispensationalism. But for the Gentile, no repentance. And yes, we should point out that there are many men who are modern dispensationalists, who are progressive dispensationalists, who deny that false teaching of a repentless salvation. They are progressive dispensationalists. When they find the error in classical dispensationalism, rather than abandoning it as they should, they modify it, tweak it, and become progressive dispensationalists. And progressive dispensationalism is still a very poor hermeneutic and should be abandoned altogether. Okay, I'm done with dispensationalism. <laughs> Repentance without faith. So we talked about faith without repentance. That's easy believism. But repentance without faith, what is that? That's works salvation. That's working. Repentance without faith is just works to gain salvation. And we know that the scripture says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But we must hold this. Faith and repentance 
are not the same. Some look to their repentance as proof of their salvation. And by doing this, we try to make our repentance salvific. Now, repentance and seeing your repentance has a role. But we must not look to our repentance as proof of our salvation and try to make our repentance the instrument of salvation. We should not say, I know I'm saved because I repented. We should look to our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ as the ground of our salvation. Repentance has a place in assurance, but it is not the primary place of assurance. Faith comes first. Faith is ever present. Now we said earlier that, that faith and repentance are both ongoing and faith and repentance are both evidenced. But now I want to point out that faith is ever present. Every moment in a Christian is a moment of faith. It may be strong. It may be weak. But it is always there. Again, listen to our confession. This faith, although it may be in different stages and may be weak or strong, though it may be at times assailed and weakened, yet it gets the victory growing up in many to the attainment of full assurance. As your faith grows, you gain this full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. Faith, weak or strong, is ever present in the Christian. But repentance, it is ongoing and it is evidenced, but it may not be seen at every moment. Though every Christian will have sin to repent of until we get to heaven, there are none who do not sin. The best of men through the power and deceit of their own corruption and the prevalence of temptation may fall into egregious sin. If a man looks to his repentance as proof of his salvation, if he looks to his repentance for his assurance, he will find that his repentance is incomplete and imperfect. And too often I hear Christians say, I'm looking for repentance that is complete and perfect. They may not say it in that way, but that's the lament of their heart. And that Christian may despair that he's not even a believer because he has incomplete and imperfect repentance. Then, if we are not careful, the gospel is compromised. The gospel is modified. Just as it was done by some Puritans who were known as preparationists. They taught that you must repent of your sin in order to be fit to be saved by God. Some of you think you pick up a book by a Puritan, you're in safe territory. If you pick up a book written by a man, you need to be on guard. This preparationism has crept in too often to our thinking. And I deal with Christians who conflate faith and repentance. And that has led to them doubting their salvation or, or making multiple professions of faith because they make a profession of faith and, and perhaps truly believe in Christ. And then they later still see sin and they say, well, it must not have been real. Must not have been true faith and they go back. But they're looking to their repentance and not looking to faith. For assurance, we should never look for the absence of sin. We should look for the presence of grace and faith. Don't ask, have I repented enough? 
See, that's, that's what many ask. Have I repented enough to be saved? That's making repentance a work that earns salvation. And in this life, have I repented enough? The answer is always no. The answer will always be no. Even our repentance has to be aided by the Holy Spirit. We would not know of sin if not for the word and the spirit. Looking for a certain level of repentance that we meet some bar is like trying to do penance for our sin. Trying to pay for our own sin. How do we pay? Well, sometimes we pay. There are churches who teach certain things to do, to pay and do penance for your own sin. But Baptists, do we have penance? Sometimes we do. I need to feel bad about it for a little while. Now, I'm not trying to say we should feel good about our sin. But when we turn that into, no, I need a period of time. I, I can't come to God until I spend some period of time, like in time out, feeling bad about my sin. Then when we've suffered sufficiently, then we can come back to God. Then we can come back in worship. We can come back in prayer. What a low view of sin. I sin, but I can feel bad about it for an hour or a day or a week. And then I'm okay. What a low view of sin. What a low view of the cross of Calvary. If my faith is in Jesus Christ, that he bore my sin, then he bore the sin that I just committed. And I come to him in faith, growing faith, resting on him, resting on his forgiveness. And yes, repenting. Trying to pay for our own sin by feeling bad about it is not biblical repentance. Along these lines, I would like to consider some things that are not biblical repentance. And I'm going to finish this. Lunch is just down the hall. I'm borrowing here from Spurgeon on these points. What biblical repentance is not. I'll try to be quick. Biblical repentance. Uh, you could also, what biblical repentance is not, you could turn, you could, you could label with this. False repentance. Temporary repentance. Repentance that is not repentance unto life. Firstly, trembling beneath the sound of the gospel is not repentance. The scripture tells us that Paul, the apostle, preached to Felix and he trembled. But he had no godly sorrow that led to repentance. Trembling beneath the fear of God, the fear of God's wrath is not repentance. Being moved by the gospel story, being moved by the storyline of Jesus is not repentance. Understanding man's sin, even understanding that men deserve hell for their sin, wanting, desiring to be saved from an eternal hell. All of these things are not repentance. This can be described with King Agrippa's words when he told the Apostle Paul as he preached the gospel. I'm almost persuaded. I'm moved, I'm emotionally stirred, but there is no change of mind concerning sin. Loving the storyline of Jesus is not the same as loving Jesus. Acknowledging the existence and even the evil of sin is not the same as 
hating sin. True repentance is a hatred of sin, a turning from sin and a turning to Christ. Obeying God's command is not repentance. We know that a lost man cannot obey, no, no man can obey God's commands perfectly. We who are Christians have our obedience to God's command perfectly done in Christ. But no one can obey God's commands perfectly, but it's possible for men, lost men, to try to do the right thing. For a period of time to, to just try to be better, try to do better. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't have a new hate relationship with sin. But they're just trying to do better for a period of time. And that is not repentance. It's possible that you may confess your sin. I've heard many lost people say this. I'm a sinner. I know. And then maybe even name some things that they say. Well, this I know this sin and this sin. Confessing your sins does not mean that you have repented. You may acknowledge your transgression, but have no abhorrence of sin. Some people confess their sin all the while planning the occasion that they will commit the same sin again. That is not repentance. That is not true repentance. Sinners, ask God for true repentance. Ask God to make you to hate sin. The same sin that you have loved. Some may do works. That we might call works meat for repentance. Works that show repentance. But they may do these works and still be impenitent. Still be unrepentant. Remember Judas sold our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And afterward he came back to those who had paid him the money. Regretting, regretting what he had done. And he threw the money. What is that? We would call that a work. Maybe we would call it a work of repentance, but he was unrepentant. He went out and hanged himself. Some people try to bargain with God. They try to barter with God. I sinned against you, but I'm going to do this thing for you. So it kind of, and it doesn't. That's not repentance. Repentance is not balancing your sin with works. True repentance is not just a hatred for the judgment due to sin. Some men would never repent of the sin if the punishment were removed. They love their sin, but they hate the punishment that it brings. Spurgeon said this, every murderer hates his crime when he comes to the gallows. If you knew that you might give yourself wholly to sin with impunity, would you still desire holiness? True repentance is hatred for sin, not just hatred for the judgment of sin. These things are false repentance. But what is true repentance? Again, Spurgeon says this, true repentance. There is always sorrow with it. More or less intense it may be according to the way in which God calls and a previous manner of life, but there must be some sorrow. Not, however, that you must shed actual tears. Some men cannot. And some don't shed tears over their sin, and some do. But there must be sorrow for sin. True repentance is not saying 
sorrow. And then continuing to live in the same manner of life. True repentance is not saying, God, sorry, and then going on the same way you've always gone. Scripture says that we'll know a tree by its fruit. And we know true repentance because it will bear fruit. There may be sometimes small fruit. There may be not much fruit in number, but there will be practical fruit. Sometimes this requires time to see that. Sometimes it may require time for others to see it in you, but you should be the first to recognize true, practical repentance, practical fruit. Again, we don't look for the absence of sin, but after a little while, we should see an increase in hatred for sin. You hate sin more than you did before. You hate sin more than you used to. Do you hate more sins than you used to? We should see a decrease in the activity of sin. We sin, but less often. Or we sin, but not in as lengthy a time. We sin, but in fewer sins, less variety of sins. Some practical fruit will show. And we're coming to a close. I just want to repeat in closing these final two statements from our Confession of Faith on Repentance. As repentance is to be continued through the whole course of life upon the account of the body of death and the motions thereof. So it is every man's duty to repent of his particular known sins particularly. We shouldn't just come and say, God, I repent of sin in general. You know your particular sins and they should be repented of particularly. Continue, such is the provision. This is good. I know it's hard to listen to reading quotes, but listen to this. Such is the provision which God has made through Christ in the covenant of grace for the preservation of believers unto salvation. That although there is no sin so small but it deserves damnation. And we say amen. Yet there is no sin so great that it brings damnation to those who repent. No sin so small that it deserves damnation. No sin so great that it can bring damnation. Let me say it this way. When Christ has worked by grace through faith accompanied by repentance to save. And then our confession closes this section saying this makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. Let's pray. God in heaven to this preacher it seems that we've only scratched the surface the subject of repentance. God, my heart is fearful that I've said too little, that I've been unclear, that I've sounded an uncertain call. So we ask today that you would have mercy on us. Be gracious to your people now. By your spirit, help us in this hour. Grant to us the grace of faith, and the accompanying evangelistic grace of repentance. Help us to see faith and repentance rightly. To not try to separate them. To not try to conflate them. God, I, I pray that you would be faithful to complete the work that you have begun in us. We know that you will. Your word promises. Lord, we pray that you would continue to draw sinners to Christ. 
giving them repentant faith, believing repentance. So in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.